Hey everyone, welcome back to Mercy Talk. This is Melanie Wise. And this is Jen Otero. And for the month of April, we've been discussing the area of shame. We've really been setting the foundation of what shame is, how to identify it, what it looks like. Um, And today we're going to continue that conversation. Yeah, I would absolutely encourage people to go back just because we're going to kind of be jumping off of some things that we've already talked Mm -hmm. about. So, you know, hit pause right now, go back, because I think we really laid a lot of groundwork, especially that first week was where I think we focused the most on this idea of toxic shame. Right. And that's really kind of where we're heading over these next couple of weeks. And I, I'm really excited to kind of just keep digging into this because I think we've we've spent a lot of time talking about what it is. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, okay, now what? And right. so I really think, especially for people who are in any sort of helping relationship with someone else, whether it be, you know, just a, a friend that you're helping, or maybe you're a pastor or a minister or a counselor, or if it's maybe just like a parent with a child, it's kind of like, okay, when you recognize some of those things that we've talked about, and I just want to go ahead and reiterate, it's in all of us. That's we right. all have some level of shame operating in our lives. But whenever we see that toxic level of shame at work in people that we have some sort of helping relationship with, like what what in the world do we do? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited because today we have a very special guest with us. I was just going to be completely honest and be like, listen, I don't really know. I don't know the answer to this question. I would like to learn myself how to help someone who's got a toxic level of shame. And so Jen, with all of your counseling experience, really feel like there's going to be a lot that you have to bring to the table on this one. But we're really excited to have with us um, the lovely Brooke Keels, who is our executive director of counseling services here at Mercy, literally overseeing the counseling program across the mm-hmm. entire nation in our home. So, Brooke, we're so happy that you are here. Yay. Thank you so much. Yay. I'm excited to be here. I really am just excited, honestly, just to ask y'all questions and let you talk <laughs> because I am not sure that I'm going to have a lot to add to the conversation. So, Brooke, before we get into the discussion today, can you give us a little background just about who you are? how you came to Mercy, who you've worked with in the past. Just kind of a quick synopsis, because all of our listeners know pretty much about Mel and I. Oh, yeah. More than they probably more than they want to know. <laughs> so give us a little rundown, a little bit about you so that we know. Sure. Um, there's actually a lot in that, but I'm going to do the quick <laughs> synopsis piece. Um, as far as being around Mercy, um, I've actually been around since I was five because Ooh, my mom yep, yeah, taught basic decision making in the Monroe home. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I've, I've always just been a part of it one way or another. And it's, it's, which is just really cool that I get to be here now. It's very exciting. Um, but the reason that I'm here now in Nashville is that basically, as you guys know, the residents and the people coming in, we're just dealing with a lot of compounding trauma. Right. And so uh, Mercy wanted to provide a place that is pretty much constant training, constant accountability, constant support for our counseling staff, mm-hmm. our programs. What do we need to just serve the young women that we serve the absolute best way possible? And so I get to be a part of that, which is kind of a dream come true. It's so cool. Yeah. And so um, the other piece of that is educationally. So I have, you know, a master's degree in counseling psych and a PhD in marriage and family therapy. Um, and I've been counseling private practice for, I guess it's, oh, like 10 years. <laughs> it's funny that when those numbers when you realize you're not 25. <laughs> um, and so I realize, uh, so anyway, so I've been doing that for 10 years. Also in addiction 
addiction treatment for the last several writing programs, uh, working with uh, people that way with their, you know, working with families, all male settings. Yes. A lot of that, which is, is was a transition coming mm-hmm. from like all male mm-hmm. to here. Yeah. And then also in a university setting, I was uh, able to teach and then work on accreditation, which is kind of the fun piece that I still get to do here, documentation, yeah. that sort of stuff. So it's so cool. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's so good. I'm so excited that you're here because honestly, Thank when you. I speak into the counseling side of it, I have a lot to share, but I've never worked with men. Yeah. And that is one part of what we really, our heart is for outreach is that even though we're a ministry that ministers to and serves women, we desperately and really really, really want all of our mm-hmm. outreach stuff to be able to impact men as well because we know biblical principles are not just for women. Right. They're for all of God's kids. And so I just right. love the fact that you'll be able to bring that male component that Jen Otero just does not carry and that's okay. <laughs> there you it's go. all right. We all know I have to do it. I know my lane today is to ask questions. Yes, so you go, girl. <laughs> I am not ashamed. There you go. See what I did there? Um, I did. say that I don't really have a lot of experience in this. And honestly, when I a lot of times I think, I bring some of my youth pastor experience mm-hmm. into this, but I'm, I'm as a youth pastor, shame was like not even on my radar. Right. Like I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know. So like I've learned a lot of what I've learned about shame, even while being at Mercy. So let's just jump into some things here. I would love to just start by asking you guys, how do you specifically recognize shame? in the people that you're helping. Mm -hmm. I think one of the first things that always comes to mind for me are those cues that they give off. So if I'm sitting in a counseling session and I'm sitting with coffee with people, you know, we talked over the last couple of weeks that so often I know for me, I have a really good idea and a, an ability, that radar to, to really see like the unworthiness, like we talked about, to see that low self-esteem, to see those sides of it. But it really is a whole nother level and challenge as a counselor or as a helper mm-hmm. to see those areas of shame in someone. And so a, a large part that I always watch for are the cues of what they're saying about themselves, that as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, that shame isn't just about my choices or my mistakes or the things that have been done to me. It really has become an identity issue. Yeah. And so I see myself as unworthy. I I see myself as used good. I see myself as all of these things that are not true or who God sees me as. And so that is one thing that I always keep an eye out for is those verbal cues, the way that they share about themselves, the way they share about their lives, the way the level of hope or hopelessness that they have, all of those different cues that over time you get better at recognizing those things as shame, but really identifying, wow, you in your identity and in the way that you see yourself, it does not line up with the way Jesus sees you whatsoever. And so understanding that below that is probably some shame. Mm. Those are my thoughts mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I'll probably repeat myself a lot, um, but you know, it really does go back to the lies that mm-hmm. we believe about ourselves, yep. you know, which is in my opinion, the root of kind of all of the things, mm-hmm. um, what you'll see. And, and this is across the board, men and women, but for sure with men, what I I really recognize is when people overreact mm. to things. Mm. So whether that's in anger, whether that's in withdrawing, whether that's in deep sadness. Right. So to me, you know, so we're like, especially with men, like, oh, they're just really angry. And we kind of just create a space for that to be a thing mm-hmm. instead of, you know, what's going on? Like, what is that a reaction to? And it's usually always actually, let me just go ahead and say that. <laughs> I'll speak mm-hmm. definitively yeah. on that, you know, is a belief that you have about yourself 
whatever that situation is, whether it's unworthiness, mm-hmm. like you said, in that moment. So with all that being said, just um, I think it's kind of that both and like you said, OK, what are they saying about themselves? But also, what is the behavior saying? Right. Right. So we don't have to when somebody's acting aggressively, I think it's a lot of attention because, you know, that's a big deal. But don't forget that overreaction can also be withdrawal and, you know, deep sadness mm-hmm. or that sort of piece. And so, OK, what's going on? That gets to be information for us instead of just what people say with their yeah. mouths. You know? That's so good. And I mean, I even think of the last couple of weeks where we've talked about, you know, identifying some of these, you know, the branches on the tree per se, even thinking about people and maybe men, but I think... I think probably more men than women, but at times where there is just this kind of inflated ego and that they're very just kind of abrasive and prideful and just all of these things where it's such a cover up that you would never go, wow, this person is really prideful and difficult to be yeah. around. They must be dealing with shame. Like right. you just in our humanity, we don't right. go, this must equate to this. Or like you said, with the anger, like, yeah. It's not something that we that we don't put easily an equal sign in between there. And that's why I continue to come back to the importance of allowing Holy Spirit to lead what we're doing. Because in our humanity, I don't know about y'all, I don't label shame well, usually on my own. But when the Lord starts to go, hey, wait a minute, let's look at really what's at the root of this. We can so easily get caught up in those other behavioral pieces that we don't ever really get to the root of it. And if there is shame there, that's going to continue to manifest and come out in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. That's why as helpers and as people who are loving on people that we continue to be root minded and yeah. this is a huge part of that and you don't get distracted mm-hmm. by the behaviors mm-hmm. right because yep. we want to be in a, and I'll, again I'll pick on the anger you know oh he's just so angry like, mm-hmm. I just don't know what to do with that well if you just leave that there I mean that's a protect, protection for totally. people you know or withdrawal or whatever it's going to be and so kind of pushing past that and, and not getting distracted by this really annoying <laughs> behavior <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know and I mean even if you do it you're Yourself, you probably some people are listening and thinking, oh, mm-hmm. okay, you know, and so, but don't get distracted by that. You can kind of dig in and, and see what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So I great. feel like I'm just thinking back to even what we talked about maybe a couple of weeks ago, just how you and I, Jen, have identified mm-hmm. some shame in our own life, but it was like yeah. deep down there. Like it was, it was such a deep root mm-hmm. and almost hard to recognize even in ourselves. Yep. And so, man, I'm just interested as we continue to talk over these next couple of podcasts, like what what that looks like, like mm-hmm. and how in the world do you ever get to that that yeah. root place with people? I'm also wondering, and you guys have kind of hit on this and touched on it a little bit, but have you seen? Maybe I'm wondering if there's a difference between how men and women experience shame, or is it just really just kind of random across mm-hmm. the board, whether or not male, female, and how that plays out? Rook. <laughs> And I say that because I've counseled zero men in my mm-hmm. life. I have lots of thoughts on women, but I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm gleaning from you as you, <laughs> as you share today. Okay. Um, you know, honestly, fun fact, we're all the same. Uh-huh. Um, we just it kind of will express it differently. One of the things with men is that to be vulnerable mm. is to be weak, mm-hmm. which is an area of shame for most men. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so kind of I, I think it's when you're helping people like shifting that to be vulnerable and you guys mentioned Brene Brown you know a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um, maybe it was last week but you know she talks about vulnerability is courage right so we can mm-hmm. help people That's kind so of good. shift that mm-hmm. for men not you know shift the idea of like to be vulnerable is to be brave mm-hmm. um, which is true because that's really hard yes, yes. 
It's really yes. hard. It's actually not that hard to be angry. Mm-hmm. Yes. But to <laughs> you know? kick, if there's anything so, that's going to kick shame in the face, mm-hmm. it's vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so once you say what it is, right, we've given it another name. So if my anger is because I'm ashamed of, you know, how I was treated when I was a kid that I felt unworthy. Now, when I get angry in these situations, I know what that is. Yep. Instead of feeding in the chaos of why am I so angry? I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. I can I can't fix this. Um, you know, but men usually go towards or generally, right? They're going to be the more aggressive, right? So usually that's going to be more of like substance use, kind of covering up that way. It's going to be more physical. Um, you'll hear a lot of guys talk about that. We're going to, you know, like working out helps a lot mm-hmm. with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like it does alleviate some things, but you're not necessarily getting to the root. Right. Um, and then the avoidance piece, uh, what I've seen a lot is gaming. So that's mm. a huge, yeah. let's go live in a world that isn't real yeah. <laughs> and hang out there, you know, and I get that. I get the appeal. So, yeah. So it's kind of, it, it doesn't always have to be aggressive. It can also just be going, you know, into another place. Right. Like, Isolation. Would place. you speak even on, like now that you've heard what Brooke has to <laughs> say like, about oh, that, like, would you draw a differentiation mm-hmm. with women? Well, I, you feel it plays I out think even just thinking through just some of the examples that I've been pondering about thinking of all the times that I've worked with women and you know I think there is more of that relational piece at times too but also I think about like women who get into promiscuity or just are desperately trying to find their worth and their value in relationship yeah and in the stuff that they do even with perfectionism or eating disorders or all those types of things like it's you'll see that maybe with men to some degree but I think with women it it just it manifests differently because there is that that desire for value and worth and all those types of things that's going to play out in their relationships and in their choices Mm -hmm. that still always kind of boils back down to that shame place where if I like I think you had said it's Brene Brown that talks about hustling for your worth yeah you know that there is just such a hustling in that relationship and in that place for women that just does look different Mm -hmm. I think there there's definitely going to be addiction and all that kind of stuff but yeah I think women will I like that hustling for your worth Um, women will try and cultivate relationships no matter how sick it yeah. is or uh-huh. can be, right? Because that's what we want is this interaction. And I think men tend to go the opposite yeah. way. They're going to avoid the depth, right? So promiscuity for them is about is about blocking that mm-hmm. off, not trying to cultivate a connection. Yep. And yep. for women, it's the opposite. And yeah. I mean, if we even took it to like... You know, we're talking about women who are struggling with promiscuity, maybe Mm -hmm. men who are, you know, have addiction or substance abuse issues. Well, let's just go ahead and bring it up to like the level of I feel like there's a lot of women. I feel like I talk more to women who struggle with things like perfectionism and people pleasing and um, and how I know that that that's just something that I'm learning. Well, clearly I'm not alone in that one Mm -hmm. because I just hear that all the time from so many women and that there is in that a hustling for their worth. Like yeah. I remember when I read that phrase and I was like, oh my goodness. Like that just resonated with me in every way. Hustling for my worth. That's like this internal like striving in me that like what what is going on in there? Mm-hmm. What am I trying to even get right now? And it is. It's that idea of hustling for your worth. And so I don't know. I, I don't know that I've talked to many men who are like, I've got perfectionistic issues. Maybe they just don't recognize it as much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like that's another one. Like, Brooke, what are some things that you've seen in men who are just like, maybe it's not substance abuse or right. something like we would maybe characterize as a more life controlling real issue. Like, what what are some other things that you've seen that seem less, you know, what I mean? Yeah. So 
one of something that was pretty consistent across the board when um, working with families whose son was in addiction treatment. So at the place I was at before, and the fathers would usually do one of two things or both. They're going <laughs> to avoid um, or get really angry about uh-huh. the situation. And so once we kind of would get everybody in, right? And, you, and one of the things is you have to create a space for that. Mm-hmm. You have to create the space for people to, you know, kind of avoid it and also to get angry. And I think that's really important, by the way, if you're an hel- a helper that you're creating mm-hmm. that environment, especially for men, because we're creating an environment for them to be vulnerable yeah. where they're already uncomfortable. So, you know, being really aware of that, it's not just going to be like, okay, tell me why you're sad. Yeah. You know, like that just mm-hmm. doesn't work for probably anyone. Um, but <laughs> one of the things, you know, is, is that um, when we were able to get to the root was that you had a, a man, a father who was broken hearted and ashamed, mm-hmm. right? Usually this led back to roots from their childhood, sure. right? But it could present as with this child, with their child being absent, mm-hmm. uh, not supportive, overcompensating. So, you know, for different things, like I'm not here, but then I'm going to, you know, provide this way, or I grew up without anything. So I'm going to give you all of the things, mm-hmm. you know, and the child doesn't mm-hmm. have a context to appreciate not having anything so mm-hmm. that they appreciate having things. Right. right? right. And so you know, all of this ended up being, I am not what my son needs me to be. Mm. Right. That's where it just kind of all came down to. And, and so we would, we would start there and then mm. we're going to go back to, okay, what were the, the lies you believed when you were a child? Right. So you felt like a burden to your father. You, you know, felt like you weren't worth anything or you felt like emotions were weak. So I need to teach my kid to be strong so he can be strong like me, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And Brooke, I think- you nail it with that because as we've talked about the real root of all of this is that belief system it's all of those things that you just said that that father feels that I don't have what my son needs that I'm not good enough that all of these different lies that have crept in that aren't just about choices it's about identity it's about who he sees himself to be that does not line up with truth and so really that's where as helpers, as counselors, as pastors, as youth pastors, as parents, it really is being mindful of not only identifying the shame, but then going, okay, how do I get in there and start infusing truth into your life Mm -hmm. and helping you to acknowledge and to recognize ultimately what the word of God says, but what is the Holy Spirit speaking over you into these situations? And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I went on a shame hunt, as the Holy Spirit said. He's really been on me about three or four months about some things that he's like, I want you to get in and pray through this stuff, which interesting enough, we're doing podcasts on shame. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I'll spend some time. And I literally spent two hours praying through and asking the Lord to begin to show me just these situations that had shame attached to them, where it was amazing to me to see and to remember some of these things that I hadn't thought about in a while. Mm -hmm. They weren't things that I would have necessarily identified that way, but he was so good to point them out and then to begin to show me truth and to point them out and to begin to show me truth. And that from that place, there was, there was no room for the shame because he started to give me his perspective to see it the way that he sees it. And I would say I'm a pretty healthy person in general. So there were these, all these moments where I was like, Lord, you just showed me like 15 things 
things that shame was attached to, that can become pretty toxic, I can imagine, if you have 15 things that shame is attached to. And so I think there's just that place of as helpers going, first and foremost, are we doing this in our own lives so that we're not carrying high levels of shame? And then in addition to that, going, how do I then position the people that are in my life on in whatever relationship that is? Because we've talked time after time after time that we all carry toxic toxic shame at some level. I think that that's a fair statement. And so getting really good at going, okay, not only do I identify it, but how do I begin to put truth into that so that we carry the identity of Christ that he has for us? Definitely. I mean, I don't ever want us to have a podcast or anything that we do that addresses people who are in helping roles and not always go back to that, that, um, it's just so, this one to me is just so easy for people to say, I don't have that. I don't deal with that. I have no shame in my life. You know, I I don't have what you guys are describing and man, if you just start digging and you start Mm -hmm. allowing the Lord into some of those places, I really do believe it will pull up because as we, I don't know what what week we talked about this, but just this was like the original thing that happened in the garden. It was the first thing that's described of Adam and Eve after they sinned. Like they were ashamed and Mm -hmm. like that was like, that is part of our human condition, honestly, this side of heaven. And and so I feel like always, always looking for those different areas in our life is so important. And, um, you know, I don't want people to listen today and be like, seriously, so you guys have spent all this time (laughs) defining it and now you talked about recognizing it. What in the world do I do with this? How do I address this? You touched on it there, Jen. But like, that's basically what all of next week's podcast is going to be about. We won't leave you hanging. So we do need to wrap up for today, but that's where we're headed next week. And we're just going to really kind of focus in on addressing shame in those that we are helping. And honestly, even in talking about that, it's also about how to address it in your own life. It always goes hand in hand. So excited to do that. And Brooke, we're so glad you were here with us today. Thank you. And you're going to be back next next week. week. (laughs) Surprise, everyone. It's going to be great. So before we sign off today, I want to be sure that we let people know that tomorrow is the big day. Freedom Experience Delaware is kicking off tomorrow night and we um, the actually you can still register online until midnight tonight central time midnight tonight central time you can register online if you do not get a chance to register online but you're planning to join us you can literally walk up to the door and register there tomorrow again at this point it's probably too far for people to be able to travel across the country if this is the first time you're hearing about this but this event is happening in Newcastle Delaware so anybody who can drive who wasn't planning to come just come on and join us it's going to be an awesome two days Um, we are going to be really walking through the keys to freedom that we use in our residential home but infusing that with a lot of just worship and fun and games and Anthony Evans is coming to lead worship so I'm like I've always told people I mean if you're coming for anything at least just come for that because it's worth it Um, he's amazing (laughs) and so it's just going to be a really power packed two days cannot wait so please make sure that you join us mercymultiplied.com slash freedom experience is where you can get information on that and register until midnight so again we're going to be back same crew next week can't wait Um, so we hope that you will join us then 